The scripture reading is from Luke. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, Where then shall we do, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food to, is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers, soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were, were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he, he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing, threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortions, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the te tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he had locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon us. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to hear your preached word. We pray that you would be in the midst of us and that we would experience the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit would illumine our minds so that we might see who Jesus Christ really is. And with that, that we would be transformed and moved at the core to worship your Son. To worship the triune God. To give praise and blessings to him who deserves praise. So we thank you, God. I pray that you'd be with me. Let me preach with conviction. And let the people hear with great eager expectation of the words of life to come. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me just for a second that you are in the desert, in a dry, arid land. And you're walking, and as you are walking, you see from a distance a crowd of people. Now, mind you, there's no civilization around. You're in this desert, but there is this huge gathering of people listening to this one person. So you approach near and just to see what all the fuss is about. And in the middle of this crowd is this man. He looks disheveled. He has a long beard. Doesn't look like he's shower in days. And you think to yourself, is this man homeless or is he a hipster? Just kidding. 
But you see this man and you say this person is crazy. But as you wait and you listen to this person, you understand that he is quite articulate. He's probably the best speaker you've ever heard. And as you look and see who has come to see this man, you see some of the respected leaders in your town. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, smart, brilliant men, come to see this man. And you think, wow, I wonder what he's preaching about. And then the man says it. He turns to the leader and says, you brood of vipers. Whoa. And John the Baptist, that is the person who you've come to see and are witnessing now. And he's calling out the leaders, you brood of vipers. Who taught you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And what question is John the Baptist posing to these leaders at this moment? The translation is kind of confusing, but I imagine that this is the real question he's getting at. Who did you get your instruction from on how to escape the wrath of God? That's what he's asking. And he's calling them a brood of vipers because he is poisoning. They are poisoning the Israelites with their false teachings. And what they are actually doing is bringing these people closer and closer to experiencing the wrath of God. That is why John is preaching out in the wilderness to correct the teaching of how you escape the wrath of God. And he doesn't say flee from it. He says, no, he says you must bear fruits in keeping with repentance. One of the main points of John's message was this, that you needed to repent before God. Now, what does he mean when he says repent before God? When we think of the word repent, we think of our modern day word apology. We have to just say sorry to God. But if you read in the Bible, there is no example of where we simply just say sorry to God. It doesn't stop there. We know this to be true. We, we fool ourselves in the modern day to think that this counts as a true uh, repentance when we say sorry. But we've seen that sorry rings hollow when there is no action behind it. And this is what John is getting at. True repentance bears fruit. True repentance is always followed up with action. You can't just simply say, I'm sorry. You need to show that you're sorry. So let me give you an example. If I stole $100 from you and I get caught and I say, I'm sorry, and I give you back the $100, that is just justice. All I'm sorry about is that I've been caught. Giving back the money is just saying, yep, you're right, I've been caught. True repentance would be giving back another $100 saying, here, sorry for all the trouble I've caused you. I am really, really sorry. You see, fruit must always accompany repentance. True repentance requires true action. Now, what is at stake here? Everybody understands when John talks about bearing fruit. If you were an Old Testament Israelite, you understood that what John was talking about was God's favor, God's salvation. You needed good fruit, good works 
in order to be saved from hell. You needed it. And so what John is saying, if you don't bear these fruits, if you're not repenting, then you are actually running towards the wrath of God and you may be closer than you think to experiencing it. But John anticipates an objection. John is able to call the Pharisees and Sadducees brood of vipers because he knows them. He knows how they think. He knows what drives them and what really drives them is entitlement. He knows that the argument that they're going to bring up is, I don't have to repent. I don't have to bear fruit. I am a child of Abraham. Abraham is my father. And so what they're getting at is the promise is found in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, in which God promises to Abraham that your seed will become a great nation and they will inherit the land. The Pharisees and Sadducees are saying, see, we know the Bible, John. We know that we are going to be blessed forever because we come from the line of Abraham. But John the Baptist is a much greater theologian than these Pharisees and Sadducees. And what he's saying and he's implying is, well, you've missed the rest of the Bible, it's not just Genesis, there's Exodus, there's Levit Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what is that all about? He talks about that the nation of Abraham, the seed that is produced by them, are a people that will produce fruit and stay in the land. You have to bear good fruit. So your argument does not hold. Essentially, what the Pharisees were saying is, I don't have to get good grades to get into this college. My daddy is the CEO of a certain corporation. But he's saying, no, no, that's not how it works here. To get into God's good grace, you must repent and bear fruit. You must repent and bear fruit. And if there's any doubt that this is what John is saying, we see the next verses, verses 10 through 12, John begins to explain what true repentance looks like. People come and the crowd say, well, John, then what are we supposed to do now that we've received this baptism of repentance? And he doesn't just say, go say sorry to God, say these things three times and you will be forgiven. He gives them actionable items. He says to the crowd, if you have two eunuchs, two tunics, Give the other person one, likewise with food. He, text, he talks to the tax collector and he says, have integrity in your job. I know you've been swindling people, now repent of it and have integrity and just take as much as required. And then to the soldier, he turns to them and says, stop bullying people, be content with your wages, be content with what you have. And he's telling them all this in order that they might bear fruit and might receive God's favor so that they could be participants of God's inheritance. And so at this point, the whole message John has been preaching is repent and do good works. And it's often tempting as I, as a pastor, to just tell you guys to repent and do good works. It's so tempting. But that's not the message that we have here before us because we need to place where John the Baptist is. He's still in the old covenant era. He's still 
under Exodus, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So I'm not going to tell you to repent just yet, but it's coming. <laughs> but first we have to understand something essential. That John's baptism is not our baptism. Most people usually associate the two. The baptism, the water baptism John is performing is not the baptism we have received today. And how do we know this? It comes from Acts. If we read Acts chapter 19, this is what it says. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Two different baptisms. And I want to highlight why this is significant. What John was doing is still correct. What he was doing was understanding what the Old Testament scriptures were saying. These people had to repent before God and bear fruit. What John was offering in his baptism was an opportunity to bear fruit. But thanks be to God, that is not the only message John was bringing to the people. For that was only one part of his message. The majority of his message, the whole reason he lived and he existed and was created was in ver for verses 16 and 17. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The core of John the Baptist's message was this. Jesus is a coming. That is the core of his message. Repent because Jesus is coming. The baptism we have in Jesus is that much greater because what we receive is the Holy Spirit. John offered the opportunity for us to bear fruit. Jesus Christ gives us the power to bear fruit. It is much more different. Does God still require us to bear fruit? Yes, he does. God has not changed. His standards have not changed. Absolutely, we need to bear fruit, but now we have the power and ability to do so because we are united to Christ in the Holy Spirit. We bear fruit because of Jesus. Now, I know many people, when they hear that, they object and they say, I know so many people who are not Christian who do better works than Christians. I think that's a debatable thing now. I used to just give them and concede that point, but now I'm, maybe it's not. But let's just say you're right for just one moment. It's still a fallacy because you have to understand that there are two covenants and two different requirements for people. 
You see, under the Old Testament covenant in which non-Christians live, that's the principle that they are operating under the covenant of works. Yet we operate under the covenant of grace. Now, how does this differ? Let me give you an example. If I were to pay you $100 to clean my room, you better clean my room. And if you take my money, I don't want to see a spot of dirt anywhere. If you leave a dirty dish, I will bring the wrath of Jeffrey upon you. Why? Because I have given you $100 and you need to clean my room. Now, say if I had a son or daughter and I told her, clean my room, help me. And my daughter or my son took one sock and put it in the hamper, I would be so happy. There would be so much joy because, yes, you're learning how to do it. Oh, man, that was so awesome. You see, this is how Christ sees us. We are sons and daughters of God himself. And that is why, yes, our works may not look as mighty as the world's, but God is singing praise because all he sees in us is his son, Jesus Christ. So the message is still the same today. We repent, but we repent in Jesus Christ. We do not repent from our own volition and our own wrongdoing. We repent knowing that we are placed in Jesus and that the Holy Spirit now resides in us. And we repent not being scared of damnation, but we repent because we know that it's stopping us from bearing fruit And we're excited when we repent because now we recognize what's been blocking us, what's been preventing us from bearing fruit. It is our sin. And so we repent in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want you to think that just now because we're Christian, the bar has been set lower for good works. It's just saying you don't have to worry about the good works. People will love you. But to all those who may think that Jesus has lowered the bar, he has not. Now with the Holy Spirit, there is no excuse not to love the world greatly. And see, brings on the charge. You know, if you think about John the Baptist's requirements, repent and do these things in those examples in verses 10 through 12, they were already hard to begin with, right? Think about it have two tunics and give one away. He's not saying if you have many, give one away. He's only if you have two. That's your clothes. That's saying if you have one pair of clothes or two pair of clothes, give the other pair away. I don't know if I can do that. That's a tough sell. Be content with your wages. Still working on that. I'm happy with what I'm paid, by the way. I'm just saying you guys might not be. And what else is there? There's also the tax collector, keep your integrity in your job. That's difficult as well. Don't cheat. Don't cut the corners. But when we see Jesus come and he baptizes us, that all goes out the door. What does he now say? If you have two tunics, give one to the person in need? No. Here is the new teaching of Jesus. To the contrary, Romans 12. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. It's not just someone in need. It's not a power thing anymore. It is someone who actively hates you. 
Because of the Holy Spirit, now you're able to love that person, give them drink, give them food. To the tax collectors, we see Jesus interact with Zacchaeus. And he doesn't tell Zacchaeus, oh, keep your integrity in your job. What do we see Zacchaeus declare as he meets Jesus? Luke chapter 19, 8. Remember, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore.